found in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 29, because as you can probably figure out what I'm doing here, it's just going verse by verse through the book of Romans. And um, so we're going to be looking here into Romans chapter... Now this verse, by the way, is comprised of 14 Greek words. If you go back to the Greek text, it's 14 Greek words, and it's translated into 17 English words. Because a lot of times the Greek words have more information on them than an English word many times. So if you, get, if you can get into the Greek rendition of something, you get more of a, of a vivid picture. It's like a difference between looking at a black and white TV or a color TV. You get the same thing, but it's much more colorful if, you, if you're able to get into the Greek of it. Okay, so um, the theme that we're going to be looking here, it's quite obvious. It's just a list of 11 destructive sins the sins that the sinner deals with, and we're going to be looking into those. Hopefully, you're not dealing with them. Maybe you are. I don't know, but what, let the Word of God speak to us today. And uh, so we have this list of 11 sins. Now, what is the word sin? Let's, let's define that. I say 11 sins, okay. What is meant by the word sin? So if you were in my Bible college class, which I had many years ago, um, and we're taking a, t- a quiz, and I would ask you, okay, now define sin. What, would you, what, what is the definition of sin? Well, sin comes from the word harmaton, and it means missing the mark of God's perfection. So when you see all have sinned that come short of the glory of God, it means that you're missing the mark of God's, all, everyone has missed the mark of God's perfection. So that's what the word sin is all about. It's like, uh, I think of archery. You, know, you, you pull back your archery, you're aiming for the bullseye. And let's say all of it, it's a contest, and we all aim for the bullseye. None of us hit the bullseye. Now, some come closer than others, but nobody hits the bullseye. Well, that's what sin is. None of us live a perfect life. We come closer to it than others, but none of us are without sin. And so, again, that's what this whole issue of sin is all about. However, the wonderful good news, yes, the Bible does tell us about sin. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And we know, as was recorded, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But wonderfully, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? He rescued us from the bondage of sin. Through his death upon the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. And what does he do? He calls sinners to come unto him. I'm I'm assuming... I, I trust, I assume that all of you have done that. But I don't know. I don't know your heart. And I've met people who I, you know, I assumed that they were Christians, and yet years later I talk with them and find out they didn't know the Lord and were able to, you know, to talk to them. So I uh, don't want to assume too much. You're here every week or every time I'm here, and um, I'm quite sure you know the Lord, but maybe there's somebody here that doesn't. If that be the case, cry out to the Lord. Ask him to save you. Lord, save me from the practice and the penalty of my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. He was buried and he resurrected. And you know, that's the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection. So many times when we talk about the gospel, we talk about Christ died for our sins. But don't leave him on the cross. We tend to leave him on the cross sometimes. But the full gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4, Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and then he rose again. And then goes on to say that he was seen of witnesses, actually many witnesses. So that's the gospel, and that's what I want to give to you. If I don't say anything else, that's what I need to leave leave with you. And if you've never received Christ, then I would obviously ask you, beg you, plead with you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Having done that, then you want to grow in God's word, learn his word, and that's what I'm going to share with you today, God's word. And we're looking here into Romans chapter 1, verse 29 is the text I'm going to be speaking on today. And again, as I mentioned, it's just a list of sins. So it's sort of boring, really. What's what's this, a list of sins? And So, well, it might be, but let me elaborate on it and see what we have here. Uh, Here are the lists, the sins that we have here, being filled with all, unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, and whisperers. Well, what's all that? Well, I'm just going to comment quickly on them and um, make a quick application. Um, But here we have 11 offenses before a holy God. You know, we read over this quickly, and we think, oh, you know, it's not a nice list, but okay. But when you think about this, 
that these things are committed before a holy God. That's the offense. God is perfectly holy, and we're carrying on like this. That's where the offense comes. And of course, that's the need then for the Lord to go to the cross to rescue us from the practice and penalty of our sin. Now, we find in these 11 English words, uh, it, it is describing those who are, in the context, it's describing the ungodly and the unrighteous. Now, how do I know this? Go back to verse 18, and that's our context. If you look in Romans 1:18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All unrighteousness and, excuse me, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So that's the problem. Men or mankind is by nature, by choice and by nature, we are unrighteous. And that's certainly offensive to a holy God. So what are we to do about this, about this condition? Uh, well, as I say, we preach the gospel and want the people to repent and to come, come unto the Lord. But we find these people here in this list, they hold the truth in unrighteousness. And you know what that means, though? When you think about that, that means they had the truth. It's not that they didn't hear the truth. They hold it. They have it. But they hold it in unrighteousness, meaning they don't believe it. And you may have friends. I'm sure you have friends. I have friends and relatives who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They believe it, or they don't believe it. They know it, but they don't believe it. They mock it. They laugh at it. They dismiss it. I was talking to my brother uh, just last night, he, he wants me to talk to a person who says that, um, you know, they, they read over the Bible and they mock it and laugh at it. And so my brother wants me to go talk to this person and, you know, try to, try to share the word with him. I'm hoping we'll be able to do that at one point. Uh, but that's what this is talking about here. These people, they hold the truth in unrighteousness. They don't believe it. They reject it. And they are what you find in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 14. Now, that's a key verse, by the way, before I read it to you. 1 Corinthians 2.14 describes the natural man. These people here that we're reading about, does anybody know that verse? The natural man, what's it say? The natural man receives not, <coughs> receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Can you imagine that? Think about that verse for just a moment. Taking us off course for a second, but that's a powerful verse. The natural man, that's the unsaved man. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. You may have somebody in your family or a friend who you're praying for. And you know what? The natural man doesn't receive it. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're foolishness unto him. And then the text goes on to say, neither can he know him. In other words, it's beyond his ability. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. He does not have the Holy Spirit and therefore he cannot understand God's word. That's a, that's, a, that's a heavy indictment. And yet we find this clear in Scripture and many others as well. So we're finding here, we're looking here at this, un, this list of unrighteous people. And yes, we find 1 Corinthians 2.14 describes them. But there are many other verses which describes this unsaved person. So all of today is going to be about the unbeliever. So you think, well, this is a bore. Well, it may be, but think about it. It's describing and we're getting information on people with whom you rub shoulders with every day. You know, whether you go to work, maybe your neighbor, throughout the day you do come in contact with unbelievers. Well, that's what we're learning about. What's going on in our mind? What's happening? And so that's what this text is all about. Now, you know, here's another thing too. I would never, if it was left up to me, I would not preach this sermon. But this is, this is the benefit of going verse by verse through the Bible. You know, as you make it a habit of going verse 1, verse 2, verse, then you're going to hit topics that normally you won't touch. I wouldn't touch. This is not interesting to me, and I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about it, really. But if I'm faithful to God's Word, take it verse by verse, then whatever comes up, I've got to analyze, dig into it, and share it. So that's what I'm doing these, these things here with you. These people here, they don't believe. They reject the truth. They're like, as I say, the natural man. And then we find in our text, the truth of the word was met with what? When these people hear the word, what is the word received with? Well, we find it, it, it leads to uh, rejection. It leads to unbelief. Or it leads to mocking. You know, have you ever had people mock? You, you witness to them and they mock you? I've had that. And I've had that a number of times. Oh, are you going to believe in Jesus? Oh, okay. And, you know, you hear that and... Um, I'm trying to think where this was. It was at a, I was in a construction job at one point. I had a summer job. 
And, I, and we were at lunch, and I was shared a track with one of the guys I was working with, and, and he starts, you know, oh, G- hey, everybody, we got a guy who believes in Jesus here. He's going to tell us how to get saved, you know, and they go on and on. But that's the way the world is. And sometimes you get that, and sometimes you don't, but you don't want that to um, discourage you. But this is what the world will do. They'll twist the word. They mock the word. They'll laugh at the word. They ignore the word. But in the end, with all this, we find that they, unless the Lord intervenes and opens up their heart and their understanding, they will continue like this way in unbelief. And their unbelief will eventually do what? Plunge them into hell. And that's the thing, obviously, we don't want to occur, but we know this, once someone is in hell, they're never getting out. And I think Catholicism believes, what, if you do enough penance or something, uh, eventually after 6,000 years or something, you can get out of hell. But um, we know that not to, not, not to be the case. So, you know, hopefully this will encourage us to, to share God's word, to witness, even though you get laughed at, even though you get rejected, so what? And I found out in witnessing what is helpful, always to carry a tract. Because sometimes you can verbally give the gospel, uh, but then you're going to separate. But if you get that tract in their hand, they, you never know. They take it out and read it. Now, many times they'll just throw it away, and, but, but you never know. Always get the word of God out in the form of a tract, in the form of witnessing, because, again, what's at stake? Eternity is at, is at stake for these people. Okay, getting, up, getting back to this text here. We're seeing the phrase here, peple momenon means being filled. As we see there, that's the Greek text. Being, being, what about these people? It means that they are filled. And as you look at that word, it means to be crammed, to be fulfilled, uh, to make full. Now you can identify this. Think about last Thanksgiving. What did you do? You filled yourself up, right? And so when you got on the table, you had to walk like this to go to the couch or something because you got full. And that's what this verse is about. And, and just walking like that reminded me of something. It was during, uh, during uh, two-a-day football practice in August. You know, when, when you first start football practice, you start in August, and it's red hot in August. And this is, this is when I was at uh, University of Kentucky, and we're practicing, and it is so hot. And, I mean, you know, and, and the coaches are driving you, and you're dying for water. So when the, the, the uh, practice is over, you know, rush over to the, to the water, and I... You know, I drank water and drank and drank, and I, got too, I drank way too much, you know. And I got walking back to the room, I could hardly move because I was so full of water. But that's what this text is talking about, being full. And that's what that word, plero uh, romanos, to be totally full. And um, I had a dog named Pokey. This was an English Springer Spaniel. You know what that is? You know what they're like? They're nice little dogs. And this dog, I should have changed his name to Prepre Mont Romanos, because this dog would eat anything, everything, all the time. When you get ready to feed the dog, just take the can out, and it's jumping up, and, and you, know, you put it in the dog dish, and it's jumping up, and you put it down, and then his face goes down in that, and it never comes up until that bowl's done. Oh, my God. Pokey, and of course, as you know, that dog you know, got pretty heavy there, but... But that's what this, this is what we're talking about, being filled. However, we like to talk about being filled by the Holy Spirit. But this text is not about that. It's being filled with something else. And, of course, we have the list of the 11 things that we don't want to be filled by. That makes a bad picture. 1958, there was a very successful movie called The Ugly American. Uh, and there was a book out. I had to read the book for, I think, for school, for one. And, and it's about an American who travels abroad. And, but, he, but he behaves himself in such a rude way, and he's boisterous and unmannerly and giving Americans, you know, the bad, a bad name. And um, so we're going to find that this is what happens here in our text. We have these things, and if we carry on with them, you certainly give a bad name to, if, if any of these things are in us, we give a bad name to the Lord, but hopefully these, these uh, characteristics will not be found in our life. Uh, we look in America, let's just talk about for America for a minute here. We tend to, or we may, mock the third world because they're poor, they're down and out, 
and that's what this ugly American was all about. And, and what he, in effect, he stole resources, uh, he was selfish, and all these things, making America, therefore, look, everybody looks at this ambassador, and of course, gets a bad name of, uh, of America. Well, you know what, the same thing happens in principle, uh, even today, in practical values, these things take place God taking his hand, I believe, off the great United States of America. Look at the things that are taking place even in our country today, which could cause every one of us to be worried or concerned. When you think of the news and you think what's going on, I'm looking here at Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, and there it says, Woe unto those who call evil good and good evil. Is that not going on in America today? That would, that would um, define so many things that you're going to see on the news. You go home tonight, you look at the news, and you're going to be seeing that very thing. Of course, it was already mentioned, uh, the abortion policy in our land. And you're probably tired of hearing that. You probably hear that every Sunday. But you know what? This is a plight on our land, and it's going to bring us down. Unless it's repented of, it will eventually cause everything to be lost, in my opinion. You just cannot carry this on like this, like we do. But not only that. Add, think about a nation that's lost and has these sins, these 11 sins. You know what else is going on? As you all know, things like uh, gross deficit spending. Think of the debt, the, the billions of dollars that America is in debt, trillions of dollars. We're in debt. There's no way you can do this without, without having a, a great fall eventually. You know, we keep, kick, as we say, kicking the can down the road. But eventually, there's no more road to kick. And that's going to come. I don't know if it's in our generation, no doubt our children's generation. But these are some of the things that we're dealing with because of these sins that go on. Um, now, here's another thing to think about that's invaded our land. Think about creating, creating these strange people that are half male and half female, you know, changing the, changing the sex of a person. Now think about what's that doing? What is that doing to? And that's, you believe it or not, that's becoming more and more popular. It's ridiculous. But that's the land in which we live. And there's going to be a terrible price to pay for this eventually. Because God does not tolerate perversion like we're doing it. And then think of the more, I don't have a word for it. I have no word for it, so I'm just like, think of America's policy of open borders. Is there anything more treasonous that could possibly happen? And yet, our leaders look at it. You know, talk about it. Nothing, nothing ever happens. All this is telling me that America's on its way down quickly. And some of these characteristics that we're seeing on our list are active, and that's why we're going to lose the whole thing very quickly. You know, we are a nation. We are becoming a nation that forgets God, which therefore we are ripe for decline, or in fact, we are in decline. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that we are actually in a decline? It's not something that's going to happen. It's ha you're in it right now. You're in the first initial stages of a serious decline of which will not return, in my opinion. As I have ever, ever, ever read about the French Revolution, the French Revolution of 1789, and the very same things you see in the French Revolution, it's what we're going through right now. And um, it's when the... The aristocracy rose up, and they, what did they insist on doing? Eliminating God. They wanted God out of the culture. God is causing this problem. We've got to forget about God and go our own way. And so that became prominent in France, and it brought in the French Revolution, and all the craziness went on there. I'm looking at Psalm 9:17, and it says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Think about that. All the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. And now, praise God, there's churches like this. Praise God, there are churches out there. Are, are there churches out there getting the job done? I guess we could look at that. We could talk about this, too. Are the churches that are there, are we bold with the gospel? Are we aggressive with it? And are we living godly lives ourselves? So a lot of times I'm here talking about these people, but I, first I need to look at Don Britton. I got stuff I got to deal with. You got stuff you got to deal with. For the church is going to be powerful and make a difference. Psalm, or excuse me, Proverbs 29.2 says that when the wicked rule, the people mourn. 
When the wicked are in power, the people, the general population, they will suffer. Do you ever look at your taxes? Do you ever look at uh, what's going on to our country today? It's not good because our leadership is not good, to put it very mildly. It is not good, and it's going, to pull, it's going to pull us all down. We have wickedness in our nation, in politics, in the arts, in the government, in the military. Everywhere you look, you find wickedness there. You used to find at least an example of righteousness, of godliness, of Christianity. But today, it's less and less and less of that. And then I see in Isaiah 3.12, these verses get me worried as I look at our culture. We find here Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12, For my people... Children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Think about that verse. That's Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. You might want to check that one out. But think of this. I'm simply reading. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. And we've seen way too much of that going on in our country. Not that a woman can't rule, but the women that we have in America are problems. To be a great problems to be sure. Uh, who who who's been ruling the Senate? Think about that disaster, and um, on and on we could go. We have uh, mental and emotional children occupying positions of authority within our land, and even within our military. If you look at this and analyze it, and I'm telling you, everywhere of course, everywhere you look, military, finance, the family within America. The whole thing seems to be heading down. It doesn't seem to be. It is. Statistically, it is. You can make an argument on this. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 15. The prophets that prophesy in my name, I sent them not. Think about that situation. Those that are proclaiming God's word behind the pulpit, not giving, not giving God's word. Maybe giving a kind of social gospel and saying nice, flattering things, but when it comes to actually the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the need for belief and repentance and godly living, it's not there. And so, uh, so many of our more liberal churches, they deny the inspiration of God's word, and they love to use this phrase, they will say, well, what do you mean we don't believe? Well, I believe the Bible, I believe the, the Bible contains God's word. You get that? that and they love to use that phrase. The Bible contains God. What they mean by that is, oh, yeah, maybe in Isaiah 64, 5, when, when God said, I am almighty. Yeah, I believe that, but the rest of the Bible they don't believe. So therefore, they just get away by saying the Bible contains the word of God. But what they really mean in their heart is the Bible's not God's word, but they get away with it by using that kind of verbal trickery. It contains the word of God. Of course, we know that there's an account on the, or an attack on the inspiration of the Bible. You want to get into an argument with people, just talk about the inspiration of Scripture. If you just talk about the Bible, okay, yeah, the Bible. But when you say dogmatically the Bible is God's word, then you'll find people raise up and you'll, <laughs> you're going to catch it. But that's okay if you can deal with it. Because there is a great attack on inerrancy in our culture right now over the divine inerrant word of God. Well, let's move on. I got a long list here. I'm not going to be able to cover it all now because if I keep on spending 10 minutes on each one, we'll be here to what? Two, three o'clock? No, but I'll be, we'll be very brief. Just look at, look at some of these words here in detail and then I'll move on. We're, we see the word unrighteousness and that's the word adika. If you go back to the Greek rendering and it means a state of rebellion toward God. So these are one of the things that Scripture is bringing up here. A state of rebellion toward God. is Now, they're defining the culture, the culture which collapsed. And so, you know, we want to learn from these as well. Uh, Strong's define this word as a moral wrongfulness and in, in their behavior. And I say again, I've already brought this up, but, you know, again, look at what's happening in America in the abortion industry, the church... Sex change, children, deficit spending, compromising politicians. It's not a good situation that we have here in America. Think of Israel's, Israel's mood. They had a general disposition was against godly things. As we look in scripture, what was their state of mind? Against God, against godly things. And therefore, what happened to them? Well, you know what Nebuchadnezzar did, right? 
70 AD. Remember, God sent prophets, prophet after prophet, to warn the people. And of course, they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't turn to God. So what happened? 70 AD. You know, I'm not going to tell you what it does. Read that. You, you look, you go in your, in your computer, uh, in, in your history books, and look up 70 AD in history and find out what happened to Israel in 70 AD. And um, we're headed for that way right now, I do believe, in, in, um, as, as we continue on in the way we're going, we will continue in that way. Let's look at the next word. We have 11 words here, so shall I be quick and go quick here? The next word is fornication. Porneia is the word there, going back to the Greek rendering. Porneia for the word fornication, and we understand that to be sexual sin uh, taking place, and this was all rampant in Israel. And so now we do know that sometimes this word can be used metaphorically uh, to describe pagan idolatry and cultic activities. But basically, it refers refers to, to sexual promiscuity. And um, so this was Israel's problem here. So we find that in our text, we find it's filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness. Let's look at that word wickedness. That's very similar to the word fornication, but again, it's pornea. And uh, it means bad or worthless. It means depravity. It means a mind saturated with wickedness. Now think about that. What are you seeing on your television or your movies or whatever? You know, wickedness. And the authors of these things, their mind is constantly on wicked things. So the things we're reading about in Scripture <clears throat> are really returning and they're present in our own culture today. <clears throat> you know, years ago, years ago, and now I'm thinking this is like back during my college days, I guess, in... in um, Lexington, Kentucky, there was a movie theater there, although I didn't go into it, but I'll tell you the movie theater, and it was just, it was devoted just to pornography, that's all it did, it didn't do anything else, but just, and, and there's a lot of them, remember, remember the little, the little movie theater, that wasn't big, it was small, and all they would show are these pornographic <clears throat> um, movies and so forth, and, um, you know, and that's, that's where our nation is, that's where it was, and they're still around, not as much as they were, but I think they're still active somewhere. That's what's going on in America. And so therefore we have our American decline and things to certainly be concerned about. And then also think about this. Think about how America, the great, powerful, once nation was kicked out of Afghanistan. You know, and a backward, backward nation kicked us out of there. And we didn't leave voluntarily. We were kicked out. We were driven out. Doesn't that tell you something? That's going to tell you things are changing and not good. Which means we need to be active, one, in prayer, holding our nation up in prayer, holding our president up in prayer, holding our leaders in prayer. And also we need to be bold, getting the word of God out, witnessing to people, uh, handing out tracts or writing letters or doing something to put forth the gospel, bringing people to church. You know, try to bring them to church and... and uh, Try to do that. I'm trying to think, how could you do that? Well, I don't know. Figure it out. But have a friend, you know, say, hey, come to church with me. I did that with one person recently. I said, you know what? Why don't you come to church with me? And I thought they'd say, oh, no, I don't want to go. They said, okay. Oh, you will? <laughs> so they came. And, but that's what we want to do. We want to bring people to our church. Now, that might, might be a good idea. When you drive up to church, good. I mean, it's a great thing you're coming, but wouldn't it be beautiful? Wouldn't it not be a beautiful thing when we come to church we come in the parking lot and get out of the car, and we have an extra person with us. And think of everybody did that. And you have a mob of people getting out and coming. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Now, they're not all going to get saved, but some will. And this is how the church begins to make an impact in the culture. And you know, that's what we want to do, make an impact in the culture. Um, what else can I say about these words here? Let me go on. To We've looked at unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, and then the next word is covetousness. Pleothia. Going back to the Greek rendering there, it is the word covetousness, and it means a desire to have more than what is necessary. It means gluttony, a glutton. Remember the dog Pokey? I told you about Pokey. Pokey was a glutton, and that's what this word means here. What's called covetousness, but it tends to be more like having a gluttonous attitude and wanting more and more and can't get enough because you want everything. 
I'm going to take a guess here. This is probably, to a greater or lesser degree, practiced by us. Here's what I mean. I bet if you would take me home to your house and take me into your bedroom and open up the closet, and I would walk, I was looking in your closet, or walk in your closet, probably there's all kind of stuff in there that you don't need. Probably a lot of clothes you don't need, probably all kind of you throw in there, and, and it's just stuff, we have so much stuff that we don't need, that we do not need. I'm learning that in our house. Stuff I'm cleaning out, a lot of stuff. And you know, precious Vicky went on to be with the Lord, and I say, thank the Lord. You know, she's there in heaven with him, and it's a glorious thing, but I shouldn't have brought her up, because I'll start to cry. I wish I hadn't have said that now, darn it. But, um, um, you know, she's now with the Lord, and I miss her greatly. But you know what? She had a lot of things. <laughs> Here's where our personality was different. I'm a thrower-outer. If it's something that I'm not using, I'll, I'll throw it out. <clears throat> For her, if she has something, she'll have to follow on to it. And that's because she was very poor. You know, growing up, coming, uh, being a refugee, coming to America from a refugee status, and they didn't have much. And so whatever they have, boy, it's the Bible, I'm going to hold on to this. Yeah, but Vicky, you're not going to use it. Well, I may, I may need it next year. I may need it 10 years from now. I got a whole, so you get all this stuff. So you know what I, as a, hopefully as a wise husband, I just shut up. You know, didn't say anything about it and just, you know, coexisted with it. But now, she's with the Lord, praise God, and now all this stuff is for me to get my hands on and deal with it. So that's what I'm involved with now. So that keeps me busy and, uh, you know, being, taking care of these things. But, you know, these things come from, you know, some, that was not in Vicky's case, but in some cases they come with covetousness. You just hold on to things and you desire more things than what you should have. And we do it with clothes. We can do it with food. You do, I bet your garage, what's your garage look like? I've been in a lot of garages. You can hardly get the car in it because there's so much, I'll call it stuff. Or what about the attic? If I were to go up and go through your attic, what if we were going to have a, we're going to have a, church, uh, a church outing after, after our service today, and we're going to go into your house, and we're going to go up in your attic and examine? <laughs> Think about that mess. But, but, you know, we're all that way. I'm not really judging anybody, because I'm like this myself. We tend to be, as Americans, we tend to be this way. We have way too much stuff in our closets, in our garages, in our cellars, because all the stuff that you have, you know what you have to do with it? You've got to protect it, insure it, clean it, fix it, and lock it up. And what does that do? It steals your time, steals your money, and just is a great inter- interference you know, to your lifestyle. And yet that's what we deal with. Um, I have a note here um, about a house that we had in Miami. You know, I attended Florida Bible College, and during that time we were living in Miami. And, um, you know, we had too much stuff in our house. And uh, so we went through this stuff, you know, cleaning it out and and all that. So this thing, this idea is clean in my mind, and that's why I want to share it with you. I I do find in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, all right, now who can recite that? Can anybody recite that? You're good if you can do it. 1 Timothy 6 says, 6, 6 says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. Now, usually, though, we as 21st century Christians, we want godliness with this new car, this nice house, this beautiful furniture. Now I'm really happy. But no, you know, Scripture is saying godly, godliness with contentment. If you can do that, you know, that is really great gain. And so uh, we want to be careful that we do not become covetousness, covetous. So that's one of the crimes here, one of the sins here. So we're looking here at unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. And now we're looking at maliciousness. So we're only on number five, and there's 11 of these things. So get comfortable. I'll cut it short briefly here. But let's talk about maliciousness. What's that all about? Maliciousness is making reference, coming from the word kakia, and it means moral badness, vice, evil intentions, and vindictiveness. And that word is used in Acts chapter 8, verse 22, but it's translated wickedness. And in James chapter 1, verse 21, it's translated naughtiness. 
but basically it has to do with a negative moral character, evil intentions, being vindictive, is what that word is pointing to. Now, there is a solution for such a situation. And that is, and for all these situations, what's the solution? The solution is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Tells us what? If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So for all these things we talk about, we know the solution. And these things I'm mentioning may not be active in your life, but you may know somebody who's like this. Give him the gospel. Get the word of God out. Shall I take one more? Let me see. Anybody sleep out there? Let me see. If you're sleeping, I know I'm going to have to. Oh, okay. Somebody's awake. Okay, I'll go on and do one more here. So we're looking at unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, and then we have the word full of envy is the next problem here. And this is a feeling of displeasure produced by prosperity or advantage or to, or to be able to take advantage of others. In other words, it's like jealousy. Basically, we can bring all that down to the word uh, struggling with jealousy. <clears throat> and here we're finding people, of, in this context, people are full of this. And so it's another thing that, that what, what? It, it works against the people of God. It works against the church. So we want to guard against these things coming into our life. The next one, I'll just wrap them off quickly, is the word number seven, is the word murder. Phonos is the word there for murder, the second one. And, of course, we see, uh, we, we understand what that is. And uh, is there a more glaring, I know I've mentioned this twice already, and I'm going to get criticism from writing it again, but that's okay. I'm used to getting criticized, so I can deal with that. Anyone, I can but, but here's the thing. Is there any more arrogant sign of murder than our abortion policy in America. Again, it is legalized murder, and we're not taking a stand against this, and it's gross, and I want to drive that into your head. I know you're, you're thinking, wish that guy stopped saying that all the time. Yeah, I am. I'm doing it on purpose to drive that into your head. This thing needs to stop, and what, what, are, what are we doing? Are we a Christian nation? We want to call ourselves a Christian nation. Are we? Well, how can that go on? And I'm, I'm going about my duty every day, and it doesn't change my schedule. doesn't change what I do. Something's wrong some, somewhere. So we need to take stock of ourselves, take stock of our churches, take stock of ourselves. This, that this kind of un- craziness does not go on of just murdering innocent little children under the guise of what? Convenience of living? It's nothing more than legalized murder what's taking place here. You know, our Lord says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murders, etc. You know, all this stuff starts here. So what's the solution to it? This. And in particular, what we find in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. His death on the cross for our sins. But he calls us to believe, to repent, to believe. And what does repent mean? Change your mind. Coming from the word metaneo. Change your mind. If I'm not a believer, i got to change my mind from no God or whatever I do hold to and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so look, let me finish this. I keep saying, let me finish this up. I just keep on going. But I want to finish this up here. We looked at unrighteousness, fornication. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder. And the next word is eris, or the word debate. And it simply means strife, quarreling, rivalry, contention, wranglings. Uh, you find this found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, in the church. The church had all this wrangling and contention and arguing. And you know that? What, what can I say about that? that? That almost brings tears to my eyes. Nothing destroys the joy of a congregation and a testimony of a church when this kind of thing stuff gets into a, con- into, a, into a congregation. Wrangle about this, argue about this, do this. Uh, don't let that happen. You know, this is a wonderful church. You know that? I don't know if you realize what you have here. Because, you know, not being a pastor of the same old church, I go visit different churches. This is a tremendous church. You've got great leadership, you've got nice f- facilities, and your personalities are tremendous. Protect it, though. Pray for it. Protect it. 
bring people to it. Be in prayer. This is very special. But you know, the world and the flesh and the devil would like to put an end to it. Don't let it happen. Enough said on that. So what else? Next one. Okay, so we're talking about unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, murder, debate, and then deceit. Dolos is that word there for deceit. That means fraud, guile, craft, subtlety. And here's a perfect verse for this. And many of you have this memorized. When I, tell you, when I give you the verse, if you have this memorized, raise your hand, please. And that is Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. Do you know that? If you know it, say it with me. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Think about it. Have you ever meditated on that verse? The heart. Obviously not the pumping organ, but you know, the human heart. The Bible says it's deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Boy, is there a need for the gospel? The gospel is what deals with this heart. But if it doesn't get the gospel, you're going to have all kinds of messes taking place in the church and outside the church. If we got the gospel here in the church, fine, and that's going to help us. But think about the world out there without, the God, without Christ in their heart. Well, you see, it, you see it in the news taking place all the time. So, you know, you see these things taking place. Now, what I wanted to say here about debate. Oh, man. I need, I'm, I'm thinking if I should say this or not. Let me see. Should I be saying this, Lord, or not? Uh, I've got to use real discretion here. Okay, so I'm thinking about a church, a, a previous church that I, uh, I was a pastor of. And so we had this, you know, you get all kind of personalities. So there's this, this one personality. Oh, I don't know how I can say this really. I'll just say argumentative. You know, who, loved, who loved to argue. And so no matter what you would say, for God so loved the world. The world? What, what do you mean by the world? We don't, and this kind of thing. And no matter what you would say, there'd be an argument. And it, it would go on and on. And so finally one day I went to him. I said, look, John, we're trying to preach the word of God here. And if you want to cooperate, and I want you to cooperate and be part of it, you could be a great part of this. This is what we want. But if you're going to resist everything we do, you would be better somewhere else. I mean, I actually had to call him in and talk to him like this. He storms, storms out. I'm like, huh? Storms out. Okay. So I said, Lord, bless that man and please help him. So the next business meeting we had, he had, he had, already had something to say. I said, oh, man, this is going to be bad news. <laughs> I know what this is going to be. Well, I'm leaving this church. Oh, gosh. And I thought he was going, that pastor over there, but he didn't. He just, I'm going to leave this church because, and off he goes. And I'm taking my heart. Hallelujah. Praise God. The Lord drove him out of there because he would just bring people down, brought the church down. And that's what this word's talking about, that kind of, that kind of mentality. And that kind of mentality can destroy a church. And yet if you have someone who is optimistic and helpful, you can do miraculous things for a church. And as I'm looking around here, as I get to know you people, and I think about, I put, dear Vicki were here, she could verify this. But we would talk about this church all the time. This, is, this church has something going for it. You've got so much here. And I'm not going to be surprised if a great revival breaks out here. I wouldn't be, if you said a great revival brought out, you know what I'd say? So, okay, what else you want to talk about? Because I know it's going to happen. This is a wonderful, wonderful church. Don't let the world, the flesh, or the devil discourage you or whatever. Continue on. Okay, I'm looking at number 10. I keep lying. I keep saying I'm going to stop, and here I'm still going on. If you want to get, walk out, go ahead. I don't blame you, but I should finish this up. I'm looking at the word malignity. Catawathia is the word malignity. And it means an evil disposition that tends to put the wrong, the wrong construction on every, a wicked construction on everything. And you know what I have in these notes here? Now this will bring tears to my eyes. And I can't tell, I'm not going to say what's on here, but I, I did write a note on here of someone who came to my mind. No, nobody you know or anything, but uh, just in my past experiences. Fulfilled this to a T. 
And I don't think they ever did get saved. They're not, not, they're not with us. It's not, you know, this is years ago I'm thinking of. Um, this is malignity. And this is in, I'm sure it can be in the church. If you're not dealing with your issues, it can be here. And it just pulls everything down. You know, they're always negative. No matter, no matter what happens, they're always negative. You can't do this, can't do that. That won't work. Oh, man, that can kill you quick, kill a ministry quick. All right, number 11. Here's the last one. We finally got to the end of this list. Okay, so uh, it's whispers. Puvistes. It's a hard word to say. I'm not saying that right. Anyway, it simply means... Um, it means an evil sense of defamation uh, to make false and, and to make false statements about others. And someone who always gives a negative report, that, that tends to that. You know, someone who always got, always got something negative against Sister Mary or Brother Joe or whatever, and, and no matter what they say, a negative has to come out. That's what this is talking about, that kind of thing. And nothing can actually... Take the joy out of the ministry, then that kind of a discussion, that kind of a spirit, always down, always negative, don't let that happen. But you know what? You're going to see these people from time to time. They may come into the church, and the first thing you want to do is what? Win them over. You know, you got to confront them with the issue and then win them over. That's why a good counseling ministry can be helpful, because if you've got a person that's got these things, you know, you can bring them in, talk with them, and sometimes if you can win them over, it's a beautiful thing. Because a person, yeah, you know, right? You, you, Don, you're right, I do do that. I'm so sorry. And you know, when the Lord gives somebody repentance over an issue, that's a beautiful thing to see. You know, I had to do that sometimes. Call people in and look, you got this going on and that, and you're hurting everybody. And the person responds by saying, oh, you know, I never knew that. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. And sometimes they begin to weep. And, you know, they confess that sin before the Lord, and they get right. They get right with God, and they become some of your best members. Because we're all human. We're all flawed. And when we find out what our flaws are, then the key is go to the Lord about it. And ask, you know, admit your flaw, and then go to Christ, ask him to forgive you, and, 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 and then to change you. And uh, that'll, be a wisdom, that'll be a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right, what else? Anything else? I think I said enough here, haven't I? Uh, you know, this is the world in which we're going to live. This, these are the people with whom we have to deal with. And um, I have one more. I wrote down a paragraph. I just want to read this to you, and then we'll close. And it simply says, As the truth of the gospel is declared, as we prayerfully preach the word in full reliance upon the sovereign power of the Spirit, the hearts of our hearers will either... Hear this now. The hearts of our hearers will either be hardened or strengthened. The word of God will either be an aroma of death or an aroma of life. Well, there's that, whoever wrote that, they, they got it right. There. But that comes from 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. And boy, how true is that is. The word of God is either going to bring repentance and change in your life, in my life, in our life, or it's going to drive you away. And it's going to make you more, more difficult, more determined to do your thing. And so I'm wondering today as I close, has the Spirit of God spoken to you about anything in your life? We all have flaws in our, in our personalities. If Vicki were here, she could tell the flaws of my personality. She'd be here all day. <clears throat> but analyze yourself. And maybe what has your husband told you? What has your wife told you? What are the things you deal with? And if you've got an issue, deal with it. And the way you deal with it according to God's word is that wonderful word, repentance. Confess it to God. And then ask him to give you the power to forsake it. Get it out of your life. Because it's destroying, hurting your family, it's hurting you, hurting the church. Let's deal with these matters. Let's, let's, let's pray together. <clears throat> our Father, again, I want to say thank you for this wonderful church, oh Lord. You know the joy that comes in our heart coming over here every, once a month. If we could come here more often, Lord, we'd like that. If you'd let us do it, it'd be nice to do this. But I want to pray for your blessing on the church, Lord. Protect, protect what is here, first of all. And I'm sure, including myself, there are people here who need to repent about something in their life. 
We, we don't come here perfect. We come here, we're, we're people of the flesh from time to time. We have bad attitudes, or, or we lie, or we cheat, or we wish the wrong thing, or we're lazy. What is here, or immorality? Who knows? What is here, Lord? What is in this church? And I would pray, O oh Lord, that you will give right now a, a spirit of repentance to the church members here who have issues in their life that they haven't turned over to you. And may they confess that to you today. Now, let me, I'm going to be quiet for a minute. And if the Spirit of God is bringing something in your heart about your life, not your wife, not your husband, you, I'm talking to you. And if there's something in your life the Spirit of God is talking to you about, would you not now talk to God and repent of it? What freedom that will give you? Lord, yes, take this out of my life. Yes, I agree, I have done this, or I haven't done this. Tell the Lord, agree. And then ask, tell the Lord, I want to forgive me of it and, and break me of that habit. Draw me close to you and change my life. Change me. This is what this is all about, constant change in our life. So let me be quiet for a minute and give you a chance to talk to God about these things. <clears throat> Lord, you started this church years ago, and we know you have great plans for it. And we pray that today may be a great day in the history of this church, and that is you granting repentance to members who need it. And perhaps there's someone here who doesn't need this today. That was not really what they needed, but you can still minister to them. But to those, knowing that I'm looking here at human beings, I know we all have something to deal with, and I'm talking to myself. Help me, Lord, in the areas where I struggle. And I would pray that for the congregation here, Lord. Continue to do the great work that you've done by granting repentance when it's needed, by granting faith when that's needed, when the church needs to step out in faith. Give them that faith to do great things. I would pray for the finances of the church, O Lord, that you will give them wisdom how to disperse the, the income and use it for the glory and multiply it. Lord, whatever was given in the offering today, multiply it. Give them a vision of how that money should be spent. Give them a vision of how this wonderful church can be used even more than what is being used now. And it's being used now wonderfully. We thank you for this, Father. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for keeping us saved. We look forward to being with you in heaven, but right now we are in a battle. Help us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to wage a holy warfare for the saving of souls, for magnifying the name of the Lord Jesus, for blessing this church. And we pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.